If you like the Live Wild podcast and enjoy hunting-related apparel, I've got you covered. I just launched some great t-shirts, hats, and sweatshirts under my own Live Wild brand. You can find them now on my website, remywarren.com. I just want to say thanks again, everyone, for all the support, and I really hope you enjoy these designs as much as I do. Who knows? Maybe you'll head over to my website and find your next lucky hat. I'm Remy Warren, and I've lived my life in the wild. As a professional guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days perfecting my craft. I want to give that knowledge to you. In this podcast, we relive some of my past adventures as I give you practical hunting tips to make you more successful. Whether you're just getting started or a lifelong hunter, this podcast will bring you along on the hunt and teach you how to live wild. This podcast is brought to you by Mountain Tough and Yeti. A lot of the tactics I talk about here require you to be in top physical shape. So I partnered with Mountain Tough to help get you ready for the mountain. With their science-based hunter-specific training app, you'll get in shape and mentally tough, able to tackle any hunt. Because we really believe this will help you be more successful, as a listener to this podcast, we're giving you six free weeks to get you started. Just use code LIVEWILD. Yeti's been a longtime supporter of mine and has some of the best products out there, including their just-released 15 and 60 Go Boxes. These are durable, stackable, dust and watertight storage that's great for organizing and transporting all your favorite gear to and from the field. I actually got to test some of these this past season and put them through the paces traveling from hunt to hunt. It kept my stuff accessible and protected. Practical in so many situations, from raft trips down the river to elk camp in the Rockies, it's nearly indestructible, go anywhere storage that's now available. Welcome back to Live Wild Podcast, everyone. You know, if you're a bow hunter out west or on any mountain hunt, one thing you're likely to encounter is moderate to strong winds at some point during your trip. This seems especially true for that open country like mule deer hunting, pronghorn, sheep, and mountain goats, or anything like elk in the alpine. And while this makes taking a shot difficult, it does make stalking a little bit easier. Mountains can get windy, and it makes sending that perfect arrow extremely difficult. So this week, I'm going to dive into techniques and tactics for shooting in the wind. We're going to cover ways to practice and be familiar with your setup and how the wind affects your arrow. I'll teach you how to aim for the wind and things to pay attention to before you're shot, as well as how to hold steady. So hold on to your hats as we get ready to learn to shoot the breeze. But before we do that, I want to share the story of a windy day mountain hunt where the arrow drifted to the target. So a few years back, I had this late season hunt and one thing about is a late season mule deer hunt. One thing about late season hunts is you just encounter weather, you encounter snow, you encounter a little bit of everything. But the one thing you kind of don't always think about, you, you, you plan for the snow, you plan for cold, you plan for that, but you kind of forget about the wind and the wind on this particular hunt was, I mean, it was just, it was gnarly. It just would not let up. It made it hard to glass. It was cold. It was snowy. It was blowing snow around and made for really tough conditions as far as visibility goes. Uh, this just happened to be a fairly over-the-counter type late season hunt. But the thing about it is I, I didn't see any other hunters out there and I, and I quickly figured out why because it was just bad conditions. But that was the time that I had allotted to hunt. This was my last hunt of the year and there was some really good bucks running around and I knew that I just knew that I needed to stay in the field and kind of keep after it so on this one particular day 
it was toward, well, I guess it was the end of my hunt. I'd seen some good deer, you know, I'd had, I, it, it was, you're out there, you're hunting and you sometimes the way weather goes, especially with mule deer, you need to be glassing and it. I didn't turn up as many deer as I would have liked. But what I did know is the wind was putting them in pockets kind of out of the wind, if you could even find that and not moving around as much. So I started kind of doing a more of a combination of still hunting where I'd like walk over into these pockets, like creep up, start glassing. So I, I creep up into this last pocket toward the end of the day. I'd seen a good buck a couple of days before and uh, just lost him, never returned him back up. So I creep over this one pocket and where I'm at, the wind is just ripping and I kind of peek over and I, I look and there's this manzanita type brush, I guess, or um, not manzanita, but cinelothus. It's similar to manzanita, looks similar. And uh, it's like, so to describe the brush, it's kind of like real thick and it, it's got leaves on it, but the leaves never fall off. Or at least I don't know that they do. Or they weren't. It was <laughs> late and cold and they hadn't fallen off yet. So the deer were just bedded around it. And I'm like, this is perfect. So I'm glassing and I, I range and there's a spot that I could get to that was, um, what happened was like it went down and then it just kind of went open and then it kind of benched out where they were at. So I'm, I'm looking and glassing and then I range to where they are and they were maybe 300 yards away, maybe a little further. And I had a lot of ground to cover. But I noticed that there was a like dead fallen tree just this like side of where they were. And so my best approach, there was actually some rocks on the one side, but I knew like I'd have to pop over the ridge and that was the windy side of the ridge. So I decided to make a play and it was a riskier stock to get across this little open to get to where that fallen tree was. But I thought, okay, if I get to that tree, I can use that tree as a windbreak to make this shot. So I crawl down, I'm doing the crab crawl, like I'm in the snow. It is just wet and cold and windy. And I'm scooting down, scooting down the hill. And I get to a point where the deer kind of, there's four or five bucks all bedded in different directions like they like to do. It's windy, so they're on edge. They know that they probably aren't going to smell danger, so they're going to have to see danger. So they've bedded in like every different position. So I'm putting something between myself and one deer's head and then sliding and moving. I've got my bow on my back and I'm just face down in the snow, just crawling so slow. And it was like that. It wasn't dry snow. It was definitely wet snow. <laughs> so I'm thinking to myself, man, if I don't get hypothermia by the end of this, uh, this stock. So I crawl down and I, and I make it past that one spot by just going extremely slow. And then I'm gauging as the wind blows, it's, I could see the deer kind of closing their eyes and snow's blowing. And then I just keep crawling and using that as a diversion to get into position. So I get to the spot where uh, I'm just about to that tree and now I'm, I can use that fallen tree as a block for their eyes for the most part. So I, I creep down and I get set up in position and now the wind really starts picking up and it's a pretty good crosswind. So I just decide to wait. I'm like, okay, I've got until dark. Uh, the bigger buck actually, there was, I could have shot the smaller buck at any point. He had his like bedded with his vitals pretty much open to me. But I knew that for the better buck, I just had to wait until he got up and started feeding. So I'm just waiting there, waiting there, getting colder and colder. That's one thing, if you don't think about it, you, when you're cold, your effective shooting range definitely goes down. I've noticed, I, I learned that in a tree stand with a trad bow. It was like 
17 degrees below in Wyoming many years ago. And uh, I had a whitetail buck come in and I was so frozen. I didn't even think about not taking the shot because you're just, you're so focused in. But man, when I drew that bow back, I was shaking so bad. I, I made a bad shot that happened to be a good shot. Um, unfortunately, it hit like its femoral artery and uh, it fell over dead in, in within sight. It's on a tangent, but something to think about. You, when you get cold, your your effective range definitely goes down. So trying to stay warm, keep my hands in my pockets. I've got hand warmers in my pockets. I've got my bow leaned up against the thing, and I'm just hunkered down waiting. Uh, I'm bedded down like they're bedded down. And so the buck finally gets up toward the evening. It's near dark now, probably about 30 minutes before shooting time in, but it's pretty you know dark with the cloud cover. Uh, or like you can tell the day is waning on, I guess. And so buck starts feeding and moving to the position of that smaller deer. So I get set up arrow and I just go through my shot process. I, I, I set my knees, uh, line them up with the deer and I just get ready to draw back. And when he puts his head down to feed, I drew back and then slowly rised up and I'm using this trunk of this tree. I, I know that I can't stand to make the shot. So I'm shooting downhill. It's a fairly tricky shot kind of have to do this like reverse Heisman where I've got my back knee up and I'm aiming down, but I want to use that tree to block the wind from my body because they're just pushing me around so much. And then I'm just waiting. The wind's gusting, gusting, gusting. I'm pulling and then it starts to slow down. I lean my cam into the wind, set my pin and release the arrow. And the buck never heard anything go off because <laughs> the wind was good enough. And when I, it felt like that air was flying forever. I mean, I'll never forget it because it looked like it was Tokyo drifting through the air. Uh, I could just remember the, the tip being one way and the fletching being the other. And when it connected with that deer, I just thought to myself, no freaking way. You know, and I really attributed it to really living in a place that's windy and practicing shooting in the wind all the time, but also just knowing my wind setup and where to hold for those particular wind conditions. You know, it just when I drew back, I just remembered thinking this is a feeling of shooting my bow very soon before that hunt of just practicing, practicing, practicing and getting those shots in the wind. And in the long run, it paid off. I really think that one of the hardest things or the hardest shot to make with a bow is shooting in the wind. And there's a lot of reasons for that. The first being that the wind causes wind drift or it's moving the arrow away from your point of impact. So that's one thing. The other thing is the wind blows the shooter around. So it's moving you when you're trying to make a shot. A combination of those two things makes it an extremely difficult shot to pull off. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at ways to mitigate the wind movement on the body and then understand the wind drift and how to hold for a shot in the wind. So the first thing is there's two types of adjustments when shooting a bow to hold for the wind. So the one is essentially we'll just call holding for the wind. And what that means is we're going to aim either left or right into the wind and allow the wind to push our arrow into the target where we want it to go. Now, the other way to hold for the wind would be what's calling bubbling for the wind or bubbling off. And so what we're doing essentially is canting our bow. And canting your bow just means 
pulling the top limb one way or another. So getting your bow to kind of lean one direction or the other. Now, the bubble that I'm referring to is the bubble in the sight. So if you think about a perfect archery shot on level terrain, you want your sight to be level as you move out at distance and other things. If your bow sight isn't level, then your arrow is going to go either left or right of the intended impact. Well, what we're doing when we're bubbling into the wind is we're cheating that by canting the bow in. So we'll take the top limb and we'll lean it into the wind, pushing that arrow into the wind. And what that does is then compensates the wind drift. So you're still holding on target, but you're using your bubble to camp to as a measurement of how much you're canting the bow to gauge how much you want that arrow to drift so what we'll be doing is uh i might be talking about when we go into the practice portion of it here in a second i'm going to be talking about different measures of the bubble so we're, we're talking about maybe starting with a quarter of the bubble so you can use the bubble in the level you've got those two lines to that indicate okay it's level because the bubble's between the two indicator lines but now as we can't we lean it out of level and we push that bubble one way or the other and we can use that as a measurement to be consistent so we can use a quarter of the bubble a half of the bubble or the whole bubble and that will really gauge us and tell us how far that arrow will move when we understand this our specific setup so there's a lot of different factors when it comes to how much if you just ask me how much does the wind push your arrow and that I could never just answer that question because it's a factor of so many different things. It's a factor of your arrow weight. It's a factor of your bow speed. It's a factor of the distance to the target. It's a factor of the wind speed. Uh, so there's a lot of different variables. And so what we are going to talk about is understanding and building out your specific bow, how the wind affects it, and then understanding how to combat it and make those shots in the wind. So it's going to come down to practice. So to really get dialed, you're going to have to take some notes. And there's a few things for this system that I'm going to talk about, the way that I do it. Uh, you're going to need a couple things. So one is going to be a wind meter. I use the same one for rifle hunting. Um, I actually don't necessarily – I'll probably have it with me on a lot of hunts. But I can kind of gauge the wind now by using it so much and just understanding what the wind's doing. But for getting set up like this, it's really good to know the actual wind value Another way to do it is just using like a weather app and you kind of get that average wind speed and you can kind of guess from there. But if you want to be really precise, you're going to want to get a wind meter. There's some cheap ones. There's ones I actually have always used pretty cheap ones and I'm just going to order a, a, a doing this podcast got me thinking about it. I'm going to order a Kestrel one here probably as soon as I get off this podcast. There may be like, I don't know, 200 bucks, 150 bucks, something like that. And then they make ones that can like sync up with certain uh, shooting apps for rifle shooting too. If you do rifle and archery hunting, then you know maybe you want to get one that does that. But it's something to have for setting up and understanding the wind drift for your bow. So the practice is going to be in uh, essentially two different ways. So we're going to practice and understand what our bubbling does and we're going to get the value for that then we're going to shoot in the wind and understand the wind value so like i said you're going to want to be taking notes because it's a, it's a i mean you don't have to take notes of the podcast but when you're out shooting you're going to want to have something to take notes on so i'll just pull out my phone i've got a note app on there and i just make notes if you paper and pen person bring your paper and pen it just gets a little tough in the wind and so we're going to i'm going to break down right now how you're going to start so the first thing you're going to do is you're going to start by understanding 
your arrow movement when you bubble. So as you cant your bow, how off your bow is going to be. And this is really good to do anyways because it just shows you the importance of making sure that your bow's level. So you're going to go flat ground wherever you normally shoot, no wind. And you're going to aim for it. You're going to do this at every yardage from like if you whatever your bow's set up for or whatever your hunting yardages might be. So if you go 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, we're going to start at 20 and you're going to start just do it um you can shoot a group or a few arrows or if it's you know whatever you're going to aim for the center of the bullseye and then you're going to can't say your top limb lean it out to the right if you're right-handed or left -handed. it doesn't matter which way you go just write down which direction you're going and then angle it and then watch the bubble so you're going to just try it start out maybe with a, a quarter bubble or a half bubble and take a shot maybe shoot a group and make sure that this grouping right and you you should see like if your top cam's leaning right your arrow is going to impact to the right of the bullseye and now you're going to just go to the target measure that record the measurement and then do the same thing at that first distance with a full bubble so you're going to work up from maybe quarter half full and then you're going to back it up 30 yards quarter half full and then 40 yards 50 yards so on so on and record all that so that's just going to tell you when using that bubble, this is setting our baseline. And this is saying when I use the bubble, this is how much it moves the arrow over. So then the thought is going to be in the wind, you could use the bubbling method if it's within the wind drift of whatever your arrow is. And you know those particular bubble measurements. So it helps you be extremely accurate when shooting in the wind because you can hold at that point of impact. So now we're going to go, so now that we've aimed at the center of the target, we've shot, we've recorded what it does by canting, and we understand where we're holding because we've got that bubble to kind of gauge the distance that we're holding it at. Now we're going to go practice on a windy day, and windy day practice is some of the best practice. And, and soon, like, if you're just starting, you go, okay, this sounds like a lot of, a lot of things to remember. You soon start to understand, you kind of feel the wind, and you really know where to hold from doing it a lot of windy day practice where i shoot it's like windy all the time we get crosswinds we get headwinds we get tailwinds it's just always windy and so a lot of practice in the wind is going to make you a better archer in the long run but for this particular first initial setup you really want to get a good crosswind so if it's a windy day you know you don't want it too windy you just maybe start out with a mild wind um whatever it is you're really just going to start to understand your particular arrows trajectory in the wind so we're going to get a crosswind you know left to right right to left whatever it is and we're going to measure if you got that wind meter you're going to measure the wind speed average wind speed and then you're going to start to to shoot and we're going to do the same thing where we aim for the bullseye and we're going to see how far the arrow is pushed at each distance so we're going to start at 20 yards aim for the bullseye you might need a big target and if you you know, you can pick different spots on the target. So if you know it's going to push it right, aim for the spot on the left so you don't miss the target and wreck an arrow. Now, one thing you're going to want to consider when you're doing this type of practice is you want your body to be blocked. So a lot of times what I'll do is I'll actually use, like if I'm somewhere, I just go out in public land somewhere and do this, I'll use my, I'll pull my truck up and use my truck as a wind block for my body. So I'll put the 
truck on the upwind side and get behind it at my house. Sometimes I can do this where I'm just shooting behind the house or whatever. Any way that you can figure out to block your body, you're going to figure out that arrow drift a lot better because you won't be being get pushed around so much. So you know that you're holding steady and you know that the wind's more affecting your arrow. Now it's not going to be exactly the same as if you're out in full wind because actually we'll talk about this in a little bit, but the, where you're, the wind is hitting the arrow it affects the flight more closer at your body and less closer to the target. So, but for just this measuring purpose, we really want to make sure that we're steady, make sure that we're holding on the bullseye and then releasing a good arrow. And then we're going to calculate the wind drift. So we're going to have X amount of miles per hour, and then we're going to measure how far off from the bullseye it is. Now, depending on your setup, you might say low wind, geez, at 20 yards, it's not even off. And that's good. That's something you need to know. Um, And then as you move further out, you're going to notice that the wind has more effect on the arrow, has a longer time to push the arrow off course, and you're going to start to measure these distances. Now we can compare notes and say at this wind speed, it pushes the arrow this much over, at this distance. And now you can compare those notes to at the bubble. With a quarter bubble at this distance, it moves the arrow this much. So then using the bubbling method, we can say, okay, at whatever the wind speed is, at a 10 mile per hour wind or a 20 mile per hour wind, we know that, okay, a full bubble at 40, 50 yards is the same as the wind pushing it at that same distance for that same wind speed. Now, the measuring off is just saying bubbling and then just holding off. So if we're at 40 yards and we know that the wind speed pushes our arrow four inches right, then we can just hold four inches left, hold four inches into the wind instead of using the bubble method. Or maybe your bubble, you don't get enough coverage for that particular distance or for that shot. Maybe your arrow gets pushed around a lot by the wind and the bubble isn't enough or the canting isn't enough to correct it, then you can just use the hold off method and know how many, approximately how many inches to hold for that shot. Now there's, I think one thing when we're talking about the wind affecting a shot, it's really good to kind of understand how the wind affects the shot. And some of the things you can do to create a setup that's less affected by the wind. So my setup I like for a lot of reasons. And when I moved to a heavier arrow setup, I actually found that my arrow was less affected by the wind. But there's a a few things here that are are key to think about. So I've just in practice a lot, I found that the wind tends to affect the, the course of the arrow more at your body than at the target. So as an example, I've just tested this and I would go like use my house as a wind block and I would set the target out past my house, use the house at my body to uh, be steady and then release the arrow and shoot. And then I would do the same thing where I would put the, you know, target behind the house and the house would block the wind from a lot of the flight path of the arrow. And then the wind would hit my body. And I noticed that it was a lot further off when the wind was hitting my body. Um, there's a few things that you could extrapolate out of that, right? The wind's moving around, it's harder to get steady. And that is true. But I also feel like the arrow hasn't had as much time to stabilize. So it's coming out of the bow. Um, it's flexing from the force of the bow that, you know, it's, it's bending, it's moving, and it's, it's beginning to 
I mean, spinning essentially is as soon as you release that arrow, as soon as it gets off the string. But it's still flexing a lot. And until it gets that little bit of distance to stabilize, the wind can throw it in a weird direction during that flex that creates it to go off a lot further. So that's something to think about. Something to think about, especially in the field when you know that, one, it's not as easy to stay steady. And two, the wind is affecting uh, that arrow's flight trajectory more at the shooter than it is at the target. Then you can go, okay, well, when I go to make a shot, or when I'm planning my stock, I need to find something where I can get behind and use it as a wind block. There's been so many hunts where I've been in the wind and I see an animal and I go, okay, I could stock to this position, but there's a better spot here that I can use as a wind block. Maybe it's closer, maybe it's further. There's, I, I mean, there's been hunts where I've had that happen. And I go, okay, I can, I'm, can get here and be however much closer, but maybe five yards or whatever, but I don't have a wind block or oh, I'm within range of my target. I can normally make the shot, but if I move 10 yards closer, there's a good wind block there. Not just for being closer and having a better, closer shot, but in the thought of blocking my body from that wind so I'll be able to be more steady and I'll have a little bit more time for that arrow to be blocked from the wind and stabilize enough to be less affected by the wind. Now, something else that affects the wind's power on the arrow i'd say is the diameter of the arrow the bigger the larger the diameter the more wind drift you're going to get so those micro diameter arrows are really good for bucking the wind arrow weight is another one so the heavier the arrow the less affected it is by the wind now the slower the arrow also the more affected it is by the wind so as the weight increases the speed decreases as the arrow speed goes up also it's less time in the air less flight time so less time affected by the wind the arrow that wins every time is the fast heavy arrow and that's the setup that i've gravitated toward by increasing the poundage of my bow and you know with my long draw length heavy poundage and heavy arrow i have a lot less wind drift than i used to i used to have to hold a lot for the wind especially when i was shooting a lot lighter arrow uh, when I when I moved up to a heavier arrow and then increased the weight of my bow, I got a lot less wind drift, and then I also moved to a micro diameter. So, when I essentially when I switched to the day six arrows, I, I talk about them a lot because they've made a big difference in essentially the way that I hunt and the things that I have to think about. But the arrows that I'm shooting now. I have a lot less wind drift than the previous Easton arrows that I was shooting out of my bow. So fairly similar setups, but a lot heavier arrow. And then just kind of up to the poundage a little bit on my bow. And now I've got a lot less wind drift. So it's just something to think about. Now, another thing that makes a difference is the broadhead on the front. I like to shoot fixed blades. And unfortunately, those are affected by the wind a little bit more than maybe a mechanical is because it's just more surface area. So there's the, you know, the thing that maybe guys that shoot uh, mechanicals are like, okay, they're, they're less affected by the wind and they are, you know, I don't know though, when they're Tokyo drifting across the sky, cause the wind's pushing your arrow. I don't know how well they deploy when they kind of hit a little bit sideways, whereas uh, a two blade broadhead is still going to penetrate really well, but you, you will notice things like tail drift, um, in those crosswinds where if it's a real st stiff crosswind, your arrow seems to kind of be flying at that kind of sideways, angle. Uh, something else to consider is headwinds and tailwinds. Now, a headwind, you're probably rarely going to get a shot in a tailwind unless it's like a 3D archery shoot, right? It's not super practical in hunting scenarios. 
for the most part because the animals will wind you and who knows. But you never know what might happen. Now, a headwind, it tends to push. I feel like, you know, it could go both ways uh, with, with lift, but it tends, I feel like a, a headwind tends to slow the arrow down, which causes it to drop more than the effects of any lift that you would get. So a headwind slows the arrow down, a tailwind pushes the arrow faster. It's all about speeding up or slowing down the arrow so when i'm shooting into a headwind i remember to hold a little bit higher when i'm shooting in a tailwind i remember to aim a little bit lower and these are all things that you're gonna want to practice before the season really getting out and playing with your setup in the wind is probably the biggest factor to being able to successfully pull off a good shot in the field throughout my hunting life, right? I've been guilty of all these things that I say not to do because I just didn't know any better. I remember the first time that I really, like when I'd go to shoot my bow and practice shooting my bow, I would always shoot my bow on days that it wasn't windy because it was easy to see where I was hitting, right? It was like, yeah, I'm doing great. And then I got out in the field and uh, I remember the first time I encountered wind and I aimed for an animal and uh, I aimed for the vitals, I mean, and it didn't even come close and it just didn't register. And I just had no gauge of how I should have held for that shot. And and I think I also had a little bit of target panic with the way that it pushed me around. I wasn't used to the wind pushing me around. I wasn't used to wind to release. So there's a little bit of possibly punching as I push into the wind and then the wind taking the arrow. And I felt very underprepared for that shot. And it it's a shot that you're pretty much guaranteed to encounter in your hunting at some point, especially if you're hunting mule deer, uh, antelope, sheep, and goats, because that more open country tends to have fewer wind blocks and you're going to be in more exposed terrain that is just mountains have wind. They funnel the wind and that's something that you're going to encounter. Now, there's a couple other things to consider when you're shooting in the wind. Like I said, the wind does push your body around a bit. And so one thing I always first look for is a block to the body. That could be a few different things. It could be something solid. It could be uh, even brush or trees. It could be one side of the ridge or another, planting a stock on this side, not that side, on the block side, not the windy side. It could also be a factor of your height on the mountain, right? So it could be the difference between standing and kneeling. Kneeling, you might be lower toward the brush. Standing, you're going to be more exposed. Another thing to think about is sometimes if you're kneeling, you want, or even standing when you're shooting, if you've got a crosswind, when the wind's blowing at your back, I tend to be less steady than wind's blowing at my front. I don't know why that is. Maybe it's just the way that we balance naturally. But for me, it seems a little bit easier to hold because I think it's pushing the bow into my bow arm when the wind's blowing at my face. And so I find that if I can plan that for a crosswind stock, that's what I'm going to do. Because a crosswind, you know, you could stock from two different directions sometimes. Uh, so I try, I try to plan it out for the wind. Now, another thing to think about is one thing that I used to do a lot was take my quiver off. Uh, it depends on your bow setup. Uh, I would take my quiver off in the wind to have less of a sail out there getting pushed around. Now, I recently started using a integrated two-piece because it mounts the quiver so close to the riser that I've noticed that that's even better. It bucks the wind a lot better because it's so close to the center of weight of the riser. So it depends on your bow setup. Like right now, my bow setup, I don't take my quiver off. And there's a few things I didn't like about taking the quiver off because a lot of the time I would take the quiver off, 
crawl in and then draw back. I remember caribou hunt where it was like, took the quiver off, put the arrow on and I'm like crawling with the bow and the quiver and you've got things here and there and it just becomes a cluster to be honest. Sometimes you need to pull another arrow real quick. I just liked leaving fewer things on the mountain. I'm already dropping my pack and boots and other stuff. I don't need to kind of think about this quiver or carry this quiver as well. I like just having it attached to my bow now and now the fact that you can mount these quivers so tight up against the riser. That's one of the, probably the best things about the new bows. That's the one thing I really like about the new Matthews is everything's integrated. So I've got an integrated rest that's in the riser. I've got my sight in the riser. I've got the quit by putting my sight in the riser. It mashes my quiver closer to the riser that puts my arrows inside the limbs. And it is a lot easier to shoot in the wind. Now, another thing to think about when it's windy is plain and simple, just getting closer. Your effective range is going to be decreased with strong winds. And that's just a factor of it. But you do have a benefit of potentially being able to get closer because the wind is making more noise and moving things around. You can get away with a little bit more movement, maybe a little bit more sound. Now, some animals, their heads are on a swivel a little bit more in the wind because frankly, they know that they're at a disadvantage, but animals that live in windy conditions all the time, it gives you the advantage. So that's something to think about is as your effective range decreases, well, you're just going to need to stop closer. And by knowing where the wind is pushing your arrow, how to shoot in the wind, you can make those shots ethically and consistently. I really can't put enough emphasis on getting out and practicing and understanding what your bow does in the wind. And by understanding your bow's can't and how much it affects the arrow, it's good to know just so you know, I mean, those shots where you aren't paying attention to the level and your arrow goes left or right. It's really good to know, okay, well, this is the problem in my form and this is why it did it. But also now I can cheat that when it's windy and have a good like measure point to understand how much I'm moving my arrow in the wind. And then really knowing your bow and specific setup. And I, I always also, one thing to think about is you're going to want to do this wind testing and measurement with whatever broadheads you're going to be hunting because that will affect it. When you're doing it with field tips, it's one thing when you've put your broadhead on there. So get some practice broadheads. You know, I, I've got a, a, few that you know maybe they've I've shot through something or whatever it can get expensive sometimes I just use one and just keep walking back and forth and shooting that one but you definitely want to practice this with your broadheads as well and understand your specific hunting setup how the wind affects it and then ways to mitigate that so am I gonna can't one my top limb into the wind and use my bubble to gauge how far it's going left or right so it doesn't matter which direction the wind's going or just can't your limb into the wind and then measure it off of the bubble. And then by combining those two things, by knowing your hold offs, canting, and then how far your arrow gets pushed in different wind speeds and conditions, you're going to be ready to make whatever shot comes your way. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that. You know, this is all stuff. I think when I think about what I want this podcast to be, I want it to be the stuff that I wish somebody told me years ago. You know, if there's, at the time for me personally, it was a lot of trial and error. And I kind of try to build this podcast on finding the things that I struggled with personally. And then, you know, how I've adapted over the years and become better at what I do, you know 
there's so many things that we can do. Just a little bit of a time taken in the off season from now till beginning of maybe first hunt start well spring hunts or whatever, but maybe you don't have a hunt till August or September. And just paying attention to a few of these little things. So when you encounter that opportunity in the field, you can make good on that opportunity. You know, there's hunting's hard enough. There's, you got to get a tag, you, get, you invest time away from family and money into the trip and, and everything about it. You know, you, you've put days into the field and practice shooting this, that, and the other thing. And maybe you get that one opportunity. And if that one opportunity is in a windy day, I want to make sure that you know exactly where to hold to make that shot perfect. And of course, things go wrong, stuff messes up, whatever. But if you have the confidence and you've done it before, the likelihood of you being able to do it in the field is that much greater. So thank you guys for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I know that, you know, I, I've been reading through, oh, I wanted to pull some of these up and then I dropped it. Oh, here we go. I really appreciate a lot of the comments that you guys have been leaving on the podcast. So thank you guys so much. These do mean a lot to me. I do, I do read them. Uh, you know, we got some fresh one here. Love it. Love the podcast. Keep it up. Uh, this one, you know, I love to hear these success stories too. This is on, these are on Apple, but this one says, got me my first buck. Gosh, dang. If it wasn't for Remy, I'm 99% sure I wouldn't have got my first archery mule deer buck this season. I was having some serious problems about controlling myself when the moment came. I thought of Remy's advice and stood still, breathed and stayed confident in my setup and my shot opening. I've made dozens of stocks that ended in failed shots simply because I couldn't stay still. Remy beat that into my brain and now I'm successful a week later. Thanks, Remy. I mean, the, those kind of things, they, that really gets me fired up. That's why I do this podcast. You know, I like to be able to help people be more successful. So thank you guys so much for those comments. Uh, I would just read through these and there, there's some awesome ones there. I, I really do appreciate you guys. And then thank you guys, you know, for those of you that subscribe and drop a comment or a rating, you know, it, we really appreciate it. And then also just kind of want to say thanks again to one of the sponsors of this podcast, Stone Glacier. You know, they, they do make the best hunting packs out there. And one of the things that I really like about their products is the fact that you don't sacrifice ability by having lightweight. It's adaptable as it's capable. And that's one thing that I love about everything that they make. When they come out with a new product, they put a lot of time and research in the field and they really put a lot of thought and effort into making the best product out there. I know they've got their new Cole 4800. And if you guys are, uh, maybe got a bag, maybe you don't, it's kind of built off of that solo bag design. That's one of my all-time favorite bags. And this one's is just got some really good features for it. So it's really versatile across, you know, all different hunt conditions. It's really good. I would say this is like your ideal pack for archery hunts, maybe those five-day backcountry hunts. And then you can kind of use that load shelf and everything to expand it over uh, for transitioning into multi-day backpack hunt. Maybe you've got more, you know, you can pop it open for more capacity. So I think that that's a, a really good pack design. And if you're just kind of like, what pack should I get? Uh, that's probably the one of the better designs, in my opinion, for that like day hunt through those kind of like shorter backcountry trips, especially if you're in that September, uh, let's say September archery season or early October, those early seasons. Uh, man, that's probably one of my favorite packs to take on the mountain. So uh, something to look at if you guys are interested. I'm going to say thank you guys so much again. I can't, I just can't say thank you enough. I really do mean it. Uh, thank you guys. The ones of you that joined the other day on last Friday, we did a um, 
kind of like a, I don't even, a webinar, what you call it, had, uh, for the, those of you that used our Live Wild code for the Mountain Tough, and those of you that signed up for that, we did a webinar. It was awesome to meet everyone and, and chat, and we talked about hunting. We did a little bit of giveaway. So thank you guys for that. That was a lot of fun. Oh, and then just as a reminder, if you do decide, uh, you can always use code Live Wild on the Stone Glacier website, get free shipping any time of year. Uh, so that's little bit of an added bonus they give to our listeners so appreciate that until next week i'm just gonna say keep shooting the breeze catch you guys later